Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Hello, and welcome to the Hello First Name podcast. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 10 from the book Hello First Name, namely the chapter with Moment of Truth, and uh, together with uh, Gianfranco Cuchel at uh, this time. So, Gianfranco, welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you can join us. Yeah, thank you, Rasmus. A pleasure to be, uh, to be invited. You have quite a resume, I must say. I mean, I was scrolling through your, your LinkedIn uh, profile and see, I mean, actually, uh, starting back from the days where direct mail or direct marketing was the thing, and now into an age where suddenly like personalization seems to have had its renaissance. You've been working for agencies and brands, so obviously uh, a lot of experience uh, in the room, in the studio here with us today. So in your own words, can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and your career? Yeah, this uh, this moment being interviewed uh, as part of uh, your book has come along. It's been a long time coming, right? So you're right. Um, originally, I fell into the world of direct marketing, CRM, personalization, purely by chance. I remember responding to an advert where literally the client services director said, "I want someone with no experience in this area." <laughs> it's been a while. He was, he was tired of people saying no to him. You can't do that. Um, so I, I went to work for that organization, then went to work for the Royal Mail, actually, where I spent a lot of time convincing FMCG brands mm. to move some of their above-the-line budget to this new thing of using data and delivering direct, personalized content to your, to your, to your, to your customers, and then fell into working agency side. So I've been really lucky for about, for about 20 years, worked for a variety of agencies, big, small. Um, as a planner, I've set up CRM and analytics teams yeah. in a couple of agencies. Yeah. And and as you know, working agency side, you get to work with some amazing brands. So you know, I've got to yeah, work which with is fantastic. Which I know, I know, I know you have. You know, the likes of BMW, EasyJet, Compare the Market in the UK, Disney. The list goes on. Right? There probably isn't a sector that I haven't worked in. And then about five years ago. Um, I got the opportunity to go to the light side or the dark side. I went to brand side. Um, so I'd spent 20 years telling people how to do this stuff. <laughs> and I, I now got the opportunity to do it in earnest, right? So sitting brand yeah. side, really I went to work. For, yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, going to work for, I went to work for ESOP. Uh, for those people that don't know ESOP, it's an amazing Australian-based um, mm. uh, skincare, body care company. I went to be their global head of CRM. In reality, actually, I didn't go to be their global head of CRM. They brought me in three months to build out a business case for their new CRM vision. Interesting. 
Yeah, so that but that three months became they offered me the full time role, and I ended up being there for about two and a half years. And at the time, ESOP was part of the Natura Group, mm. which comprised so ESOP, Avon, The Body Shop, and Natura yep. in Latin America. Uh, so after two and a half years, delivering a new CRM vision, building up the business case for a new Martech stack, starting across to across those brands. Across those brands. Well, no, just just for ESOP to start with. Just for ESOP, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then looking at how loyalty and subscription might work for for that brand. Yeah. Group said, "Would you like to come and be the CRM and personalization lead for the for the group for those four iconic mm-hmm. brands?" So I went to do that for a year, um, and then for the last part of my career there, um, was working working specifically with A1 International. Yeah. It was slightly different to the other group companies because they don't have a traditional D2C business model. Yeah. Their model is selling through reps and consultants. Yeah. Um, they have 5 million reps around the world. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's quite it's yeah. very successful. And the, the business has been around for about 130 years. So it's not a new model. Um, but that, that face-to-face, high-touch business model is something mm-hmm. that a lot of consumers in a lot of parts of the world still Craig. So yeah, so very interesting. And I've seen you present again and again. So obviously following you on LinkedIn, and I see you, you've had multitude of speaking gigs uh, over the last year. And and I've also actually used some of the your talking points within some of my own presentations. So uh, I'm stealing with pride. Um, No, and and and, but that's but that's it. it? I mean. You know, having read your book twice now, because for some reason I bought it twice. Um, it's that <laughs> <Thanks>. good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, your, yours is very, you know, it's, it's How to very be. practical, right? So you can yeah. take away chapters of your book and yeah. and, and apply what you've learned in that, in that book. Yeah, that was the idea. I guess the bits that I talk about, I, I talk about it in a slightly different way because... Mm. I try not to compete with experts like you, right? So I spin the story in a slightly different yeah. way, if you like. Um, but then ultimately, it's I then steal from the likes of you and other greats. Yeah, the- I think there's. Um, I mean, if, if we unite uh, on this, I think there's really. I think there's a need for everybody uh, helping each other uh, with this because indeed many people have burned their hands with personalization or marketing automation projects over the years. And that's really one of the reasons that I wanted to put together the framework within Hello Firstname because I found that so many people were misunderstanding each other. And that was part of the reasons, uh, part of the reason for why their projects were either doomed from the get-go or why they maneuvered through them uh, wrong. I guess it's because when people think about CRM and personalization, the first thing they think about is technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which, because because the, the vendors have done a really good job. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not dissing them, right? This is that's their role, right? But they've done a really good job at explaining why the technology is important. But I think that without the time and effort and the thinking mm. in advance of the technology, right? yeah. so thinking about what am I trying to deliver for the customer, thinking about how I'm going to set up my business my organization to deliver on this yeah can agree more start thinking about the technology yeah. so having those frameworks doing doing the the mental 
mm. legwork yeah. before thinking about technology, I think is is really is really important. I think one of the things that have dawned on me recently is the fact that if you look around uh, and look at all the projects that people are doing with personalization, quite often you'd have the data people in charge. And as as it is with the with the main model of Hello First Name, there are two ends of the bow tie. So there's the insights end, which of course is built on customer data, and then there's the content side of things. And if you if you have a personalization responsible that is mainly coming from the data side, there's a risk that they'll ignore what the creative communication means, and that it still needs to be entertaining and fun and engaging, and and how all that is put together and that's half the equation so if you only look at the data ever i think you'll you'll be missing out and that's part of the the reasoning that i'm trying to 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 bring to the table here but really your your definition of personalization if i if i can start there because i did mine and really i found that it was not too much use but just to to get an idea of uh, i think it's very broad the definition that i end up with but i like like to hear and i like the audience to hear how you sort of see personalization on the top level what is it really so so I, I think to start with i think that i think i don't think there is a definitive what what is personalization right so i think I that if if the audience starts spending the next 12 months trying to work out what is the actual definition of personalization you'll end up not delivering personalization right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at least in the meantime yeah exactly yeah yeah so i i, I have a, this mantra that i've repeated a number of times this this year that personalization without purpose is pointless. Yeah, I agree. So I think that if you start from that premise and think about the customer's purpose in this, mm. not the capability of the technology, it's a good starting point. Yeah. And that purpose can vary. Yeah. Now that purpose might be, I want to research more about the product. Mm. I want to buy the product. I want to return the product. I want to use the product. I want to be an advocate of the product. Start thinking about that. So if you start thinking about understanding what the customer is trying to do, why they're doing it, how they're trying to do it. For me, personalization is using data to help fulfill that desire, need, or want. Mm. And I I don't think it's any more complicated than, than that. It becomes complicated when you start thinking about how you fulfill and what needs to be fulfilled. Is it? Are you delivering an experience? Are you delivering content? Yeah. Are you sometimes not personalizing? Because sometimes yeah. personalizing is not personalizing. Mm. I remember when when we were at East, when I was at ESOP, um, when we were sending out very brand specific content, yeah, we never personalized it, never segmented it. Because and I know you, I know you, I know you agree with this. Because yeah, yeah the brand is the brand. The brand is the brand, right? I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to dilute what I want to, re- I want, I want to stand for. Yeah. This is, this is what I want to talk about. So when we yeah. talked about the cultural aspects of the brand, you know, literature, food, music, cinema, that we, we, we just talked about it. Yeah. And that was, that's who we were. Yeah. And in fact, bizarrely, um, some of the most um, high, the, the, the communications with the highest return that we had were the non-personalized communications. Yeah, because you were just talking about the brand, and yeah. customers ended up on your website and bought product. I agree. That's kind it, of a self-segmentation. So you are, I think yeah. it goes very well for for the brands that have like a high brand equity. That there's a reason for them having an audience, and that's because they are who they are. 
So really enforcing that and telling different sides to that story will make people interact with you because that's why they came in the first place. See, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Apple do much personalization. No, they don't. Because no. you're, you're an Apple fan, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big uh, Leeds United fan. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I don't care if the content from Leeds is not personalized to me. I just want to hear about Leeds, right? And that's funny. My last guest. Uh, and I, know, I edited I the podcast today. He is a marketing director of FC Copenhagen. Oh, really? Just qualified for the Champions League knockout. And they're actually doing quite a lot of personalization. So in the way that, they, for instance, they're selling a season pass, they'll be looking into how frequent a buyer you are, looking oh, into yeah. which part of the stadium yeah, yeah. that you normally attend, and are you the ones that buy tickets for more than yourself, and so on and so on. Using these insights, transforming them into segments and finding out, okay, how do we tell the story about why you should buy a seasonal pass depending on who you are, making that reflect in the images and so on. So, of course, there's not a personalized way of saying how did things go uh, in the weekend or the last game or whatever, but but still, they choose except, where to apply except, and where but, not. But keeping on the, on, the, on the football theme, right? So I've spoken with, uh, I've spent time with um, the marketing teams at Chelsea, Arsenal, and... Mm. In fact, I used to run the CRM for, for Chelsea many, many moons ago, but Chelsea, Arsenal, and Liverpool. And so depending on, for example, depending on the result that weekend, actually in reality, the messages that go out on a Monday are a reflection of the result and the performance. Yeah. Because, because, because actually they know that if they've played particularly badly and lost, they're not going to sell many shirts yeah. on a Monday. Right? Of course, yeah. But if top player scores yeah. a hat-trick, Funnily enough, yeah. the player who's wearing the shirt in the email on a Monday morning Boom. is the hat trick. Obviously, yeah. 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 So don't try and celebrate something when every all the fans are in mourning. Exactly. Yeah. So so brand <laughs> I think is is important. But then but then ultimately, when it comes to products, of course, right? Personalized. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the stuff we did with I mean, we were lucky at Edishop because Edishop doesn't have many SKUs. Mm. And I was there. There was probably 180 different stock keeping units, different products for for yeah, those yeah, who yeah. aren't familiar with that term. Different products and product sizes. Um, so it is very it was relatively simple for me to talk about the um, uh, the cleanser, toner, hydrator regimen. Right, three products. Yeah. If you bought one, we could talk about the other two. It was it was as yeah. simple as that. Yeah. And um, we would send out you know content around that first product once once you'd bought it. So they're very specific, even to the extent where a new customer, the welcome program that you got from the the brand, mm-hmm. wasn't from the brand itself, but it was from the store that you made your first purchase. Yeah. Because that was really important for the yeah. brand to cement. Strengthening the local. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you say to me, should you always personalize? And I often get asked that. Mm-hmm. My stock answer is yes. No, maybe something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So coming back to the, um, because I think I'm going back to the definition uh, of personalization that you uh, believe in and that you just stated, uh, really trying to figure out what's on the customer's wa- mind, uh, what are they currently uh, trying to uh, make a decision about, what are they trying to do, uh, what are what do they want to avoid, and what are the, the motives and what is the intent with them currently. That's pretty much what I tried to capture in the term Moment of Truth, which happens to be the, the title of the chapter. 
that we're discussing today. So, uh, so the the distinction I'm doing the distinction uh, on the custom insights part in the Botar personalization between segments and moments of truth. Yeah, I like that. How do you see that distinction? Maybe do you have some examples from from Aesop, which seems to be uh, where where, yeah. where there's a clear distinction, or some examples of of those two types of insights. So, so the way that I think that, I think this is a really nice way of, of, of framing it. I think that the, the way that I kind of describe those insights is is um, fat or thin, broad or narrow, right? So segments gives you that fat kind of broad segmentation. Yeah. That, that insight about it. About, yeah, about broad it. pencil strokes. So, so kind of, I kind of know broadly that you're you're in Italy. Right, I know roughly that you are a first-time buyer, yeah? so I kind of have that context that, that that can help shape some of the content that I might put in front of you. But the moments of truth actually allow me to deliver that content much more specifically, right? Because yeah. because there is a, there is a moment in the customer journey where you are um, you are at the one of those moments of moments moments of truth. Right. So, so if I, actually, if we go back to the Italy examples, if I know that I'm seeing someone arrive on my website and they're coming from an Italian IP address, you know what? Naturally, I'm going to serve them the content in Italian, the products that are available in Italy, because I think that's a broad segmentation. Yeah, that's it a is. Broad insight. But if I then log in and I, and I now tell you that it's me, Gianfranco, and you recognize who I am from my profile, then that becomes a slightly that's that's more of a moment of truth because I'm getting closer mm. to you as a customer. Yeah. If I then end up looking at the particular product that I haven't bought before, then all of a sudden you know that I'm trying to make a decision or research something about yeah. that product. So that's all a of good a sudden, chance. the content that you start to deliver to me becomes even more becomes less broad, becomes much much more much narrower, much fatter to 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 thinner. So I think that there are different levels of insight. Mm. If it was a, if I could draw a Venn diagram, it would be two circles. But they, I think they overlap in the middle to yeah. help deliver yeah. to your to your bow tie almost. Yeah, yeah. that's actually bow. sort of where I envisioned the knot in the bow tie. Yeah. So the where so in the in the ideal scenario where you have like full uh, full data traction and recording of your whatever your customer is doing and their profile data and their behavioral data and whatever, you should be able to combine the two. So in a really important moment of truth, you should be able to combine, first of all, what is the customer going through? What are they trying to achieve? What is on their mind or maybe what should be on their mind currently? And tell that in a way that relates to the kind of segment that they belong to. And maybe couple that out with not only the message, but also the product feeds or the articles or the content feeds that will help them closer and, to a decision. And it's, I know that, there's lots of technology that allows you to do that at scale these days and really cleverly. But I think, I think that I still think that not enough brands spend time looking at that customer journey. Mm. So actually looking at those half a dozen stages of the journey, whether it's, you know, research, awareness, purchase, you know, repurchase, loyalty, et cetera. Thinking about what the customer, what the customer mindset these mm. each of those stages. And I know they have to be to start with quite broad brush, but have a think about the mindset, what yeah. they're trying to achieve, <laughs> what the what the brand's 
role is there, right? So how do we react to that yeah. mindset and, and what, they, what they need to deliver? Look at the touch points that you have yeah. along that yeah. customer journey. And, and that's when you can start thinking about, okay, so if I, if I know that this is what the customer is trying to do at this touch point, how, how do I use data to personalize that experience? Yeah. What can I do now? What can't I do? But what I, could I be doing in six months' time? Yeah. So what do I need to start doing now mm. that makes six months a reality? And that might be, there, there are a couple of data points that I'm not collecting. Yeah, yeah? yeah exactly. So, yeah. so, and so which, which part, moment of truth, uh, I mean, looking at this from an ASAP uh, point of view, which moments of truth did you, or do you work with, or did you work with in the customer journey there? So which were sort of the most, important moments of truth for for asap but also for for the customer so you so you kind of so when, so when you look at it from a business perspective yeah so you know we wanted as many customers as possible to become our hero customers yeah yeah uh, but but what the definition of a hero hero customer for asap might be different to what to another brand but we wanted hero customers so from a business perspective we would look at okay so but how how does a customer move from being a we call them saplings, right? So yeah. a sapling customer, all the way up to a hero customer. Yeah. Okay. What what was what's the what's the route that most yeah. customers take? Yeah. So from that we so with those are our moments of truth in terms of how we understood how people progress through the segments to becoming a hero customer. Um and so we we realized that um the first thirty days, first forty five days mm. was really important. Yeah. For two reasons. One was um, when I joined, we, we used to do a really bad job of just trying to sell you things, yeah? whether you needed them or not. Yeah? So you might have spent, I don't know, 30 euros on a body wash. Mm. And the next thing we might want to sell you next week is a, is a 150 euro fragrance. Okay, yeah. You know what? That, I, you, I've not used the body wash much yet i might have used it four or five yeah. times yeah. i'm not sure whether i want to spend five times the value of my first purchase obviously but we would we would ignore that yeah. as do a lot of brands i've worked with a lot even agency side a lot of brands that try and just say well what am i selling this this month oh i want to sell fragrance i want to sell broadband let's just sell it not thinking about the customer so we, that was that was one of the things we did we, we started to think more closely about what we did and didn't put in front of the customer yeah Yeah. From a customer perspective, moments of truth. So, I don't know if you've ever been into an ESOP store. Um, I don't think I have. I've been to Body Shop. You, you, no, going to an ESOP. similar beauty retailers. Not, not, that I'm, not that I'm complaining about the Body Shop experience, but if you go into an ESOP experience, as soon as you walk in there, you realize that it is an amazing brand environment. You know, you, you'll be approached by one of the consultants who will welcome you into the store. Mm. And they'll try and help you, try and work out what, you want they don't sell they help right? which i think is a big difference they take you to the sink where they do a demonstration of the products trying to find the right products for your skin type apply it yeah. to your hand tell you the order that you should be putting your product on how much you should be putting your product on, on your face to get the most of the mm. product from the product you buy something they create a profile for you on the on the on the, on the point of sale And then you walk out of the store, and if you're anyone like me, you go walk out of the store, and you've immediately forgotten 
everything that this consultant has told you, right? So <laughs> yeah, you have just have the impression, but not the you data. You have this amazing moment of truth yeah. in the store where you experience the brand. Yeah. You go home. The first email you get is trying to sell you something that you didn't want because I've just bought some body wash or something. Yeah. And when you go to use the cream, did they say put a finger full on my face or a whole handful? I can't remember, yeah. right? So yeah. 30 days later, you're not using the right amount of product. Mm. You don't know whether this 80 pound, 100 pound skin cream is working or not. Mm. So you kind of go, well, I'll, I'll buy a cheaper product because I don't know whether this is working. Exactly. Yeah. Those moments of truth yeah. aren't the best moments of truth. So one of the I very guess. simple things that we did was, was when you got your welcome program, as I mentioned, it was from the store that you made the purchase from. Yeah. So personified, sent in the name of the store manager. Really easy. Yeah. Um, the, we sent you how to, how, how to use the product that you've just bought. Yeah. It's fantastic. We don't Pausing the campaigns or pausing the campaigns for this particular individual. Yeah, you wouldn't get, yeah, you wouldn't get campaigns. Yeah, yeah. So like a quarantine until I've, you know, you had a feeling that I would be well on with my body wash on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the the how to would be specific to the products that you bought. Mm -hmm. We would give it a period of time to elicit any feedback from you to work out whether you yeah. felt that it was working or not. Mm -hmm. That would be the point where we kind of go, all oh, right. So it looks like you're enjoying the yeah. know, cleanser. Check to that. Yeah. Why not try the toner hydrator that matches that particular yeah. fragrance that you've for that skin type that you've that you've bought for. Mm. And it's not rocket science. Right. Definitely not. It's not. I mean, and, and that's and that's why I think that sometimes brands try to be really clever with the way that they're using data, and they want to hyper personalize. I hate mm. that term, just kind of for reference for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of me, hyper means if you look it up in the dictionary, it means an excessive amount of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It can it's, be. It's, so it's thinking about the thinking about the basics, getting the fundamentals right to make sure that you know you, you get those right before you try and be super clever with i don't think you need a huge personalization engine to implement what you just described there no. basically like small simple flows where you look into what people have bought and then you dwell with that let that sink in literally in the skin and you collect their experience, you listen into how they feel, and then you then you start selling once you can do that again. Plus, when, when you get to, I mean, I have worked with brands who will boast about the fact that they have over 100 different customer journeys, right? Over, you know, 150 customer mm. journeys. And I kind of go, that's a lot of customer journeys you've got set up, <laughs> right? How, yeah. how do you know which ones are working better than others, right? And I, yeah. I, I talk about this thing around, what I call CRM lasagna. Yeah. Right? Where you keep piling on more and more layers of meat, yeah. cheese, tomato, yeah. pasta, right? And you're just squeezing the original flavor out of the lasagna or the programs. And you don't know which of those layers is really performing for you. Yeah? So Everybody will get a big bite with a lot of each layer, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I think your Italian descent doesn't deny itself. Uh, that's beautiful, Jeffrey. Yeah, <laughs> it comes out every now and again, not as an accent, but in behavior uh, and thinking. I'm a huge that. fan of lasagna and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so and also the metaphor here. Um, 
So and and that's so 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 you 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 tapped into these. Let me just uh, sort of paraphrase. So you you looked at these moments of truth, trying to see. I have my starting customer here. I have my hero customer here. And how can we move the customer from basically one value segment to the next, where each sort of change of segment would be a moment of truth, where they either do it or they don't. So yeah, to speak. Although, although, yes, right. So, but. It's funny we we never actually thought about how can I move this customer from one segment to the other. In in reality, the, the way that I framed it was that there were certain behaviours that we wanted to recognise and influence. Mm. Yeah? So broad brush, right? Segmentation. We had lots of customers who were gifting customers. Yeah. So they just came once a year, bought the product for friends and family. And wouldn't come back for a year. Now, what do you do with those, right? You, because you don't want to oversell to them because you you don't want to lose the gifting momentum, right? They, yeah. They've been coming for the last five years, spending a shed load of money in the store online. So how do you treat those? Yeah. Well, you you might suggest to them that there are other gifting occasions during the year. Father's Day, Mother's Day. Yeah, could be other birthday. people that could be needing a gift. Yeah. You might want to suggest that they gift for themselves, right? Reward, yeah. reward yourself. Um, or you then use those gifters as a, as a Trojan horse to get new customers. Yeah. Because what do you do with the gift recipient? Yeah. All right? So there's, yeah. right, so there's, there's a whole pool of customers that we probably don't, any, don't know anything about. Mm. So how do we get the gift recipient? To become a direct customer of the brand. And one did you do that? that? How did that you? That did, well, one thing that we did a, uh, in the second year that I was there was that um, back to the brand values of literature, etc. So the four gift kits, each gift kit had a short story that was associated with it. Mm -hmm. And you could access that story to download or to read online or to listen to by scanning the QR code on the side of the gift box. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you get this gift, you scan the QR code, it takes you to the story that's an extra present, if you like. Yeah. Of symbolic value, I suppose, a storytelling, yeah. extra content. Yeah. You come to the website where you can access how to use the product and maybe you'd like to register your details for right, newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. So again, there's another way of kind of using that 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 way of um using that moment of truth for to, to kind of get i think that's a that's an insight that many brands out there could be using so i mean we were talking about football earlier so i mean people generally don't buy one football ticket but who else is coming along with them who's tagging along and how can we get a hold of those people we're working with the danish royal theater same thing nobody buys one ticket and uh, I know for a fact that uh, Pandora are working with a specific segment called uh, male gifters. So tend to be uh, tend to be male anyway. So people who are normally just buying the gift. And really, it strikes me as odd that not more brands are utilizing this way that you just described of connecting with whomever is at the other end of this interaction. And even, but even, but even, even brands who. Um... 
the, the, the product is bought in an anonymous environment, right? So a supermarket, you know, you buy something in the, in the supermarket. We talk about omnichannel, right? You talk about omnichannel. The, yeah. the one, the one uh, when we talk about omnichannel, we kind of talk about physical and digital, and we talk about the, the communications that you might get sent and the, how seamless the experience is. But we often forget about the one thing that is that travels all the way through all these different omnichannel and multi-channel environments is the product itself, right? So you've got, this, you've got this <laughs> thing that everyone is carrying around or opening or using on a daily basis. And it seems to me like it's ignored as an, as an opportunity. As a communications channel, a basically. Communications channel, right? I, yeah. I remember, well, this is years ago now, right? So I, I helped um, English Wines do their first direct-to-consumer campaign. Mm. And the most successful piece of collateral that we had was not the amazing direct mail piece that we created that was personalized to the, to the, to the individual. Um, it was the flyer, the order form, that was in the wine box that yeah. was delivered, right? Because, you know, it's, you've got a free ride. You talk about, you talk about Paid channels and own channels. Right? So the, one of the own channels that you have, yeah, exactly, is You're the, already oh, there in the hands of the consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up. I have a personal subject matter related, um, I would say, depression, but I'm disappointed that any of and I drink uh, my fair share of wine. I think, and I've seen no wine merchant do what you suggest there delivering me the extra i mean it's it's symbolic value why don't you deliver me those conversation pieces that i can uh, that i can speak out loud when i'm serving the wine wine for my friends and i can sound like a more of a connoisseur than the amateur that i really am this symbolic value i mean it's, it's half the pleasure of wine it's knowing where the grapes are from and the story with the farmer and the producer and so on and so on and yet i see so I haven't seen a single wine merchant uh, doing this, so I'm so glad you bring that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I remember. I remember during COVID, um, my wife and I attended a couple of virtual wine tasting sessions. Yeah, I became and, really skilled at wine tasting during COVID as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, wine drinking. I'm not sure about wine tasting, but, <laughs> um, but I, I remember that you kind of. I don't know whether this is a male thing, right? but you, but you, you kind of want to feel as if you know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I do. So when the sommelier is on the other end of the camera going, yeah. can anyone, what, what can you smell? What's the bouquet Schnauze, you're getting yeah. from this wine, right? Yeah. I'm immediately on Google kind of going, what should I, <laughs> what oh, I I'm getting, you know, tarmac and blackcurrant. Yeah. yeah. Because there is something about that, isn't there? I mean, I remember doing some work with an agency where um, we were doing some work with a single malt whiskey. Yeah. And they knew very little about the customers. But we, we kind of felt that they kind of fell into two or three different segments. You know, you had the, the novice who was trying single malts for the very first time yeah. to the scholars mm. who actually knew a lot about the, the you know, why, um, pairing, the history. Process, probably, yeah. But they kept it to themselves. <sighs> and then there was the, what we call them now, the show-offs, right? That yeah. actually, you know what? They actually didn't care about the the whiskey itself, right? Care about they themselves. Just, they wanted to talk about the fact that they spent 150, 150 euros on yeah. this single malt, right? And they knew a little about it, so they could boast about it to the, to the, to their friend. 
Um, and so what we did was actually we we looked at the content that people were interacting with on mm-hmm. through email, on the website, and we began to position customers so that we could talk to them in the right way. You know, and, yeah. and we played it back to them because we, we you know we took some customers and went, we think you're a scholar, we think you're a novice, you know, mm-hmm. are we right? So we kind yeah. of fine tuned the model, but it helped us to deliver yeah. the right content. So basically a segmentation of why are these people into whiskey drinking at all 100%. in the first place and then aligning the messaging with the particular value that they were getting from it, knowing that it wasn't the whiskey itself necessarily, but moreover the social the state uh, of yeah, yeah. social proof or exactly. uh, well-being or storytelling or uh, all the taste for some, obviously. That I think that's uh, that's that's very uh, that's very very interesting and spot on. So I'm going to change the topic a bit. So there's a lot of talk about AI <laughs> at the moment, and uh, particularly generative AI, but also AI in general. How do you see AI in determining the moment of truth for B two C customers? Well, yeah, I, I, I know. I think I think you, you're similar minded to me that. We've been using AI for, for years, right? So in, yeah, in, in the world of, you know, 10 years ago, we talked about big data, right? Then yeah. um, we talked about predictive analytics, you know, propensity modeling, right product in the right place at the right time from an inventory perspective. And it's just machine learning, right? It's just, you know, clever use of algorithms to determine that. So I, So I think we've, we will we'll get even faster, slicker at it because I think that mm. you know the technology is there. The the way that we can ha- five, even five years ago, I think legitimately you could say, well, I can't get my tech stack to talk to my data in these three four silos, and yeah. I can't then deliver that through a communication channel. Those which is days, why the data people were in charge of the personalization yeah, projects, yeah. which is fair, and the data engineers. So so I think that well, those days are gone now. I think there isn't yeah. much excuse to. To do that. So I think we can do it much more at scale these days, yeah. faster. Um, identify those trigger points, mm. uh, those those behavior clues that our customers yeah. and prospects signs of intent. Oh, yeah, I think I think the big thing is 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 generative AI, but yeah. not some. But I, I guess from a front end and a back end perspective, I think that generative AI will now. Just make it a lot easier for us as marketeers to almost generate the content that we need mm. to to get closer to that one you know that one to one vision of delivering content that is very specific yeah. to you, Rasmus, to you, Jack yeah. Uncle, right? Um Just become a lot slicker to yeah. to do that, and and actually probably um, slicker in terms of being able to very very quickly. Almost determine so most marketing automation platforms work on the basis of journeys, yeah, yeah, uh, and you start off with a very you know I've got an a, B, and C bits in my in my in my journey, and the content might vary depending on who you are what you what you do, what what you're doing. I think what gen AI might allow us to do is to become is almost we won't have journeys right. We'll just have a generative AI piece and, and uh, predictive analytics capability mm. that will create a unique journey for you, Rasmus, right? Because I know you, 
I know where you're starting off. And it doesn't matter in what direction you go, I will deliver the right experience for you and your particular needs. I think that's where, that's where, we'll, that's where we'll get to. And yeah. So you'll more like be determining or deciding on how often do we want to interact with customers or even let that up to the AI to decide. So we want to boost our CLE for these particular types of customers. We have these calls to action. We have these products. You figure out the rest, basically. Yeah, but also, but also I think allow the, allow the machine yeah, to sometimes to work out when is the right time for a human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that would be the that would be the best thing for for this particular individual. And that might be I, I don't want my um, chatbot to be run by AI. I want I want to talk to a physical person. At this point in the customer journey, I'd like to suggest that you come into a store. Yeah. And, and you know, experience the brand. Give you a full makeover. Sit on the sofa. Right. Yeah. Watch the eighty-eight inch. TV. Smell the fragrance. Smell the fragrance, right? Mm. Um, we haven't got to the stage of aroma vision just yet, right? Um, so I think that, that I think that human interaction, you know, bizarrely, Rasmus, it might get to the stage in a very horrible way. <laughs> I, no, no, where, it, it, but the, the but the personal interaction almost becomes only for the elite. Mm-hmm. Right? So we we get to the stage where return on investment is so important that we kind of go, oh, you know what, ninety percent, ninety five percent of people, they're just going to go through the machine, yeah, right? because we'll churn out we'll churn out the revenue that that we need. Mm-hmm. But if you're the other five percent who are willing to pay for that personal experience, <laughs> oh, you know what, I'll let you, I'll let you talk to a human being. Exactly, you can meet a human. Yeah. I mean that that would be that that would be a terrible, but I wouldn't be surprised. If that's I think there's already, uh, I mean, already people are using AI or just simple rules, basically, to figure out how they can optimize also the cost of communication to a particular customer and who yeah. is worth it with it with the high touch uh, shopping suites, as in the case of, uh, of for instance, um, Nordstrom in, in the US. So who gets invited to the personal shopping suites where you are having uh, like personal uh, service and people are dressing you up in all fancy clothes obviously they aren't inviting everybody there so i think this is already taking place to 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 one extent or the other do you remember do you remember that service called clout with a k yeah sure yeah yeah i don't know if clout's still about but i remember that you know there were certain social index of how well known you were on the internet how big an influence were you restaurants that when you try to make a a dinner reservation. Yeah. If you have cloud, you've got the table. The first thing they looked at was was your cloud score. There are platforms uh, gauging this within the influencer marketing space. I I personally invested in one of them called called Woomio. So we're running out of time, uh, Jan Franco. So I actually have one last question. Yeah, I have one last question. Uh, We've been talking a bit more than 40 minutes. Um, One last question. Uh, Your personal favorite example of personalization that you've experienced as an individual two right i'm gonna give you two fantastic there's a italian restaurant in um york eaten there a few times have their loyalty card picked up some points 
But the most ex amazing experience I had with them was I was walking past a restaurant one evening. The general manager saw me through the window, came out, invited me in for a free glass of limoncello. Right? Yeah. Now, that is, is the ultimate level of personalization where the general manager, no data, just the data that's in his and mind. a human being even a human being right but, then, <laughs> but i think that's where we aspire to get to as, as, as yeah. a brand. the second example is a an invitation i got to have my car serviced so the car brand the dealership sent me an email saying it's time for your car service mm -hmm. we've booked you in for friday 10 a.m on the 17th we've arranged for a courtesy car for you to have during the day and while you're here, we'll check the roof rack that we fitted for you last year to make sure it's all secure. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful, right? That never happened. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but, that, but that's the dream that I sold to a well-known brand, car yeah. retailer, okay, yeah? Yeah. and they still haven't done it. They're, 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 no. they're still talking to me about the car that I haven't owned for three years. Yeah. So. Wow. Definitely yeah. so much wasted potential out there. So, uh, Gianfranco, thank you so no, much no, for you your right. time and your, your presence here. And uh, I'll be looking forward to also following you in the future and uh, the next time we meet. Cool. So for the audience, uh, I'll say I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, remember that all models um, and even a written abstract from the book can be downloaded. Uh, and I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, I hope you'll join us next time, where, which will be a more classic uh, audiobook chapter. Thank you for listening. And Gianfranco, once again, thank you for joining. Thank you, Rasmus. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a classical audiobook chapter, we'll be listening to Chapter 11, Personalization in Marketing Automation. What is the value you can get? What are the three primary value drivers? And what characterizes the level of beginners, intermediates, and leader companies?